And welcome to what may be um, the coldest Christmas Eve service you've, you've been to. Um, I, I almost considered wearing an extra sweater vest. It was that cold, but I decided my shirt was loud enough to keep the cold away, and uh, wearing it is a gift to Lynn. Anyway, last week um, on, on our Front Yard Missionary Facebook group, if you're not a part of that, you, you should go find it and join. A lot of great tips for being a good neighbor. But anyway, we were asked to list our top five Christmas movies. And, and I won't tell you all of mine, but I will say that I was shocked at how few people had my number one in, in at least like their top five. I think it was only one other person. It was a Hallmark Christmas movie before the Hallmark Channel even existed, but it, it had the same Hallmark storylines and themes. It's this little gem called Die Hard. I mean, think about it. A guy named Bruce Willis is trying to get home to be with his family at the holidays. He, he gets reunited with his first love. And, and in the meantime, the halls get decked and the bells get jingled. And I mean, it ranks right up there with Elf and the Grinch for all-time Christmas movies. Last week, if you were here, you, you heard me say Christmas was always meant to be continued, not just repeated. Continued, not just repeated. Christmas isn't just a, an annual celebration. It's an ongoing story, and, and, and it's a story that we're all invited to join in. Now, now stories like this, they, they have the, the ability to capture our hearts and, and even define our lives. They disciple us. They, they give us a framework for understanding the world around us. Christmas is one of those epic overreaching, overarching stories that's being written through all time and space for all humanity. But for a few moments this evening, I just want to talk about your personal story. Your personal story. See, the thing, one of the things I love about Christmas is that when Christ was born, God got personal. I mean, think about it. The omnipresent, omnipotent creator of the universe became a baby. It can't be much more personal than that. So what's your personal story? You know, that, that running narrative that plays in your mind as you go through your day. Sometimes we look at different chapters of our lives, especially the ones that are, are hard, didn't end up the way we wanted, the failures, all that kind of stuff, and, and, and we begin to think, that's my whole story. That, that's the story of my life. Have you ever said that? That's the story of my life. And, and we begin to rehearse a narrative. I'm not good enough. I'm out of chances. I'm, I'm not lovable. Nobody sees me. Nobody cares. I'm only good if I do good. I'm a failure. Maybe, maybe your story is, is a narrative of shame. You've moved from I did something bad to I am someone bad. I want to talk about those stories in the light of Christmas. Because if the Christmas story is a true story, and with all my heart and mind, I believe it is a true story, the most true story ever. But if it is a true story, it is the story of God with us. Listen to Matthew's version. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, it says, As he considered this, and this was Joseph considering what Mary had told him, as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She'll have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. That was Isaiah. We've been quoting those verses all Advent season. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. This is the great Christmas promise. God says, I promise I will be with you. And you notice how well that 
great Christmas promise goes along with the most common Christmas greeting, which was fear not. I mean, every scene, it seems like there's an angel saying, don't be afraid, don't be afraid, fear not. This tandem of uh, of promise and challenge is spread all throughout the Bible. It was Moses' final words to Joshua before he led the people of Israel into the promised land. They're, they're the same words that God gives to every one of us embarking upon uh, a new journey, a new chapter into God's great unknown. He said, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be terrified for the Lord your God goes with you. He's with you. It shows up in the world's favorite psalm as as, as comfort for those who find themselves in, in dark and difficult days. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God, you're with me. No matter what circumstances you walk through, even, even though life and hardship threaten to overwhelm you, the, the Lord who created you comforts you with these words in Isaiah 43. Don't be afraid. I know your name. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. It, it's the essence of John's 10-second version of the Christmas story. In John 1.14, he says, And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and blood, and he moved into the neighborhood. Literally, he pitched his tent in our midst, and we saw his glory with our own eyes. From walks together in the Garden of Eden to post-it notes, reminders of God's presence like the, the pillar of fire and the burning bush and the Ark of the Covenant, to a manger outside of Bethlehem, it's the essence of our story. In fact, it defines the grand finale. In Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4, John says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, the home of God is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. At the end of time when darkness is ablaze and sin is defeated and, and there's not even any need anymore for forgiveness, the refrain of the new day will simply be God is with us. God is with us. God is with us. God himself is with us. And in our most childlike moments, I'm, I'm convinced of this, even though our, our kids just, they, they yearn for the gifts at Christmas, I, I'm, I'm convinced that in our most childlike moments, we realize there's something more. There's got to be something more than a gift. And and it's his presence. It's the presence of God. I, I love the story. Sophia Cavaletti was doing research on spirituality and children. And, and she tells the story of this little three-year-old girl raised in an atheistic family with no religious contact whatsoever. And one day she asked her dad, where did the world come from? And, and he gave her a, a scientific evolutionary type answer. And then he added, but there's some people out there who say that all of this comes from a, a very powerful being and they call him God. This little three-year-old girl began to dance around the room saying, I knew it. I knew what you told me wasn't true. It's him. It's him. Writer Anne Lamont was raised by her father to reject the reality and, and presence of God, but she began to backslide into faith at an early age. She writes, even when I was a child, I knew that when I was alone in a room and I said hello, there was somebody who heard me. The baby's given name was Jesus, but his prophetic name was Emmanuel. God is with us. See, the story of Christmas, in fact, the story of the whole Bible is not primarily about the desire of people to be with God. It's about the desire of God to be with his people. Let me tell you the Christmas story of God with us in another way. Just imagine for a moment a scene similar to ones painted by authors like Walter Wangerin and Max Lucado. Picture a community where everyone carries their burden. 
Everybody walks around with a sack of garbage, their trash, kind of like Santa in reverse. Not gifts, but, but garbage. And then imagine this young woman, she drops down on a bench and swings her trash bag up to the space beside her. Elbows on her knees, she hunches over and stares at her bag. Everything hurts. Neck, shoulders, hands. It isn't easy carrying her trash everywhere she goes. Hard to even imagine what it would be like to be garbage free. It's another dreary day like almost every day. A cross between drizzle and sleet falling from above. Dirty mounds of melting snow below. A a car drives by and splashes mud all over her shoes. She barely even moves. Hard to remember a time when she walked without trash. Maybe as a kid, not sure, don't quite remember, but now it goes everywhere she goes. Can't leave it behind, can't give it away, it's, it's her trash. And besides, it seems like everybody that she knows already has their own garbage. The bus stops, she barely glances up as people file off the bus. Everybody has a bag, an elderly woman, a kindly looking grandma type grandchild in one hand, bag of garbage in the other, next a guy with what looks to be a 50-pound garbage bag struggling under the weight. What in the world could be in his bag, she wonders. It's bitterness and regret. She turns to see the young man beside her talking to her. His shoes are covered with mud, but unlike her, he's, he's garbage free. She's puzzled, not used to seeing anyone without a bag. The young man watches the guy walk away with the huge trash bag, and he says quietly, he worked all of his life to accomplish his plan for the good life, but in the, in the process, he, he lost his family. And last year was passed over by the promotion, and now he's bitter. And his, his bitterness has poisoned all of his relationships. None of his kids even want to come around anymore, and he's alone with his regrets. What's in your bag, he asks. She's silent, so he answers for her. Shame, huh? You think you're a bad person because of what you've done. His voice seems almost too gentle for the truth that comes out of it, but still she braces herself as she opens up her bag for more shame. But it never comes. And said these words, will you give me your trash? Tomorrow, Friday at the landfill, will you give me your trash. She's silent. Such an unexpected question. She sits there after he leaves, replaying the scene over and over again in her mind, wondering if he actually means what he says, and if he means what he says, if it's even possible to give your trash away. She walks away with an almost hopeful look on her face. Friday comes, she dresses, grabs her trash, and heads out the door, not even sure that the landfill is worth the walk, but as she goes out, she sees a crowd of people, everybody headed in the same direction. The woman in front of her smells of alcohol. A teenager falls into place beside her. Rage, he says, that's what my bag is full of. Rage at my parents, at my teachers, rage at the the guy who abused me, but I'm tired of it and he said that he would take it they arrive with with the crowd hundreds and and hundreds of bags nobody speaks but occasionally the silence is broken by this rhythmic pain-pierced roar and then a groan and a few moments later another roar and then another groan and drawing closer they begin to understand what's taking place he kneels beside a family he he holds out his hands to take their garbage and he prays over them may i have it And may you never feel it again. 
He bows his head, picks up their bag, and pours their garbage out upon himself. The lies of the liar, the bitterness of the angry, the wounds of the abused, the failures of the driven, the loneliness of the invisible. He feels what they feel with them. And suddenly she's standing in front of him and she's not sure what to do. She's never opened up her trash to anyone before. You can't live with this, he says. You you weren't made to carry this load. He empties her shame upon his shoulders and he lets out this cry of remorse. I'm sorry, he sobs to the heavens. It's a sob she's heard hundreds of times coming from her own lips and she realizes that his cry is her cry as her garbage becomes his garbage. She touches a tear on his cheek and and walks away for the first time with no trash. She stands with the growing crowd as they watch and more and more trash piles up around him until he's covered with everyone's garbage, buried under a mound of misery and failure and sin and regret, hopelessness and anger and lust. And and soon he's gone from their sight But they gather in silence because it just doesn't seem right to leave. They wonder why he did what he did and they share stories of how their lives will change forever because of this. Through the night and into the next day they stay. Some sleep, some hover around fires lit in old trash cans. By early morning most have fallen asleep so they almost miss the moment. But the young girl who once carried the shame lifts her head and catches a a stirring of the trash. She rubs her eyes, unable to believe, but when she looks again, he's, he's standing in the midst of the garbage, alive, this redeemer of trash, this deliverer of burdens and giver of life. And you're thinking, wait, wait a minute, Dan, that's not the Christmas story, that's the Easter story. Yeah, same book, same story. Same Jesus, just grown up. (laughs) Same message, peace on earth, light of the world, God with us. And and what's the message? Back when our kids were still kids, we used to ring the Salvation Army bell together, the red bell, you've seen those. I remember one Christmas down at the corner room, just watching the people go by as our family was standing there ringing the bells, teenagers with shaved heads and nose rings and a yuppie and his significant other and college students of every shape, size, and, and color, a jogger, a few young men going in to get an early start, a younger guy who was obviously homeless, a, a family going in to have supper at the corner room. And in the midst of all of that, as I looked at my family, I just thought, does God really know all these people by name? Do By heart, do they really matter to him? As Philip Yancey writes, does one person on a speck of a planet in a speck of a solar system in a mediocre clump of a galaxy really matter to the creator of the universe? Christmas screams to the heavens, yes, they do. People matter to God. You matter to God. That's why God is with us. That's the promise of Christmas. I can summarize it in four words. People matter to God. From common blue-collar shepherds on a hillside to educated stargazing royalty to a poor young girl, people matter to God. He, he loves people not as a nationality or a country or a race, but just like we do. He loves people one at a time. You matter to God. Christmas is the promise of God saying, I love you. I, I know your name. I see you. 
You matter to me. I'm with you. I promise. Jesus came into the midst of mess and uncertainty, into the midst of darkness and conflict, into the midst of chaos and loss, and he still does. And listen to me, you don't have to clean it up. You don't have to fix it or hide it. That's what Emmanuel, God with us, means. He's with us. You you matter to him. He wants to save us from our garbage. He sees something more in you than you can see in yourself, something worth redeeming. I'm not a Los Angeles Dodgers fan. My dad is and a good friend of mine, Terry Walling, is. But fan or not, if you know baseball, you know the name Oral Hershiser. He was a great pitcher. But Oral, I mean, that's not really the kind of name that would strike fear in opposing teams. And to make matters worse, when he first came into the majors, he was a skinny, stoop-shouldered, pale, mild-mannered kid. His first years in the, the majors were, were a serious struggle. And one day he was having a, it was a typical kind of rocky outing for him. And his manager, Tommy Lasorda, came out to the mound. Tommy not only had a passion for the game, he had this uncanny ability to be able to see potential in others. And, and he walked to the mound, he looked at Oral and he said, you know what I see when I look at you? He said, I, I don't see a skinny, scared, uncertain kid. I see a fighter. I see a man with guts, with fire in his belly. I see a bulldog. In fact, from now on, when I talk to you, I'm not calling you Oral Leonard the Fourth anymore. From now on, you're bulldog. No one had ever seen a bulldog in Oral's heart. That conversation changed his life. It became known as the Sermon on the Mound. <laughs> In 1989, Bulldog won the Cy Young Award with one of the most dominating seasons that a pitcher has ever had. You know, honestly, some of us aren't so sure that we want God to be with us because we think that when he looks at us, he's got to get kind of grumpy and disappointed and not very joyful because all he sees in us is the trash, your failures, your shortcomings, your, your shame, what your parents thought of you, the hidden darkness, what that kid said to you in the fifth grade. But Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to give you life. Christmas reminds us that God is with us. The cross reminds us that God is for us. Not just with us, for us. The cross showed us the depth of his love. The cross didn't drain his love. Listen to me, relax. Let go. There's nothing you need to do to make him smile. Christmas reminds us that even though we have a past, God still has given us a place. Jesus is for us in our brokenness. He's not keeping his distance from your past. He's not shaking his head at your damaged heart. Listen to me. He is with us in the good and the hard, in the silence and in the suffering. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just a a clever theological nickname for Jesus. It's a GPS for hope. God is with you, and God is for you. And all the mess and brokenness and all the hurt and pain and all the sin and failure for you. In fact, if you want to know and follow Christ this Christmas, don't try to avoid the mess. Don't don't hide your eyes from the mess. Look for it. And when you find it, dive deep into the mess. Some of us are going to find some mess sitting around our Christmas table. Some of you will find it in your neighborhood. Some will dive deep into a cause, but wherever you find it, embrace it and follow Jesus into it. You won't miss Christmas. Throughout this last week, I, I don't know, I just, I've been curiously filled with emotion. 
I'd listen to a Christmas carol. I was riding with Lynn and my daughter Sarah back from BWI, picking her up and listen to Christmas carols and it's tears that start filling my eyes. I'd, I'd write a few words for this message and my gut would just kind of clutch and, and a sob would come out. At some point I just said, God, what is up with this? What is going on? Why this emotion? And and it brought to mind a conversation a few years ago in a store with a neighbor, a Jesus follower who attends another church. And, and we were talking about Christmas Eve. And in the midst of the conversation, she said to me, we keep hoping that God will show up in one of our services. I think part of the emotion for me is just this, this sense of anticipation, this longing that God would show up, not, not just here, not just in one of our services, but in us, in our whole region, that we would live in God-saturated neighborhoods. I know that, that part of that emotion also is that every once in a while, this hasn't happened for, for a, a number of months, maybe a year or so, but every once in a while, it just seems like God gives me a little taste of his heart and his love for us, and, and it just overwhelms me. But I also know that part of the emotion is a sense of God saying to each and every one of us tonight, I did my part. I am with you. I've come. I do show up. I'm here. I'm with you all the time. I stand at the door and I knock and I'm just waiting for you to say yes. Why don't you pray with me this evening? Jesus, I I have no idea what the yes might be for any single person in this room. But I I would be so bold as to pray that, that all over this room in these next few moments as we light a candle, as we sing, that that we would say yes to you. That we would say yes to being a part of your story, that we would say yes to giving you all our sin and failure and darkness and crud, that that we would say yes to your invitation to join you in the story, that we would say yes to God with us. It's not all that complicated. We just need to say yes. And so we welcome you here, Spirit of God, in these next moments. God, would you make your presence known to each of us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.